Good morning. It is with a deep sense of gratitude that I stand before you. I'm grateful to our Heavenly Father for His grace, for saving us, and then for the privilege that He gives us to serve Him. So I really count myself truly blessed to stand before you this morning to share His word with you. And as I stand here, I am aware of my deep need. I'm also aware of your deep need. And so I pray that God would give me much grace to speak the word, to speak his word the way he wants me to. And that God also would give you much grace so that you would listen to God's word without any distraction, that you would listen to God's word with an attitude of total submission. For we are not here to make a speech, but we are here to proclaim the word of the one who's made heaven and earth, who by his grace has given us his word. It is God's word that you and I are about to hear. So may God give us grace, all of us, to listen to him. And it will do us much good. It will do us great good. So what I'd like to do right now is to begin by asking you to stand and we'll read together God's word. And it is found for us in the book of Numbers chapter 21. So if you have your Bible, please turn it to the book of Numbers chapter 21. And I'll be reading for you from verse 4 through verse 9. And you, if you don't have a Bible, please uh, use a pew Bible. And let us read God's word and trust God to use it to speak to us this morning. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thank you. This past Sunday, if you had the opportunity to read the resurrection accounts as found in the Gospels, you may have come across 
one that is found in Luke chapter 24, where we are told of Jesus' appearance to two disciples as they were on the road to a small village outside of Jerusalem named Emmaus. And when you look at this text, it tells us of those disciples, as they were going to Emmaus, very discouraged, having on their mind the events that have transpired, that have truly troubled them, that this Jesus whom they had seen before them was crucified. The one they thought was going to lead them in victory against the Romans died in the most humiliating way possible. So they had that on their mind, but also on their mind was some kind of report that they had heard. It was told them that Jesus had risen from the dead. Of course, who could believe such a thing? We saw him nailed. We saw him die. And we know that he was buried This idea that he rose from the dead can't be. So there they are walking to the road to Emmaus. And Jesus our Lord decided to show up. He decided to show up knowing them where they were in their doubt. And wanting to minister to them. For them but also for us. And Jesus spoke to them, and they don't know who he is, and they're having this conversation. And Jesus asked them, wait, where are you? What kind of, you mean you don't know about what had happened? And so they talked, and they said, oh, yes, and we heard that he rose from the dead. And the Bible t- tells us that Jesus responded with a rebuke for them. And Jesus said to them, to his disciples, oh foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Have you ever wondered exactly what Jesus shared with them? The Bible tells that he spent his time expounding the scriptures of the Old Testament. I don't know how long it took. The Bible doesn't tell us specifically which text Jesus expounded for them. But what we are told is this. That he should from those texts, the things that concern who? Himself. Himself. And I believe when we read these words of Jesus, it should encourage all of us to read the Old Testament with eyes wide open. Looking specifically for Jesus. For he is in fact on every page of the book. Jesus is on every page of the book. So when we read the books of Moses, we read the prophets, Jesus tells us we ought to look for the things concerning himself. It's not just history, 
that God records for us, but rather God gives us a revelation of Christ in the Old Testament. This morning, I want to present before you, I want to open before you a text that perhaps was one of the texts that Jesus used. The Bible doesn't tell us, I don't know for sure. But I believe the text that we'll, we are going to be looking at this morning is the kind of text that shouts, that proclaims, that tells us concerning Jesus, glorious things concerning Jesus. And my prayer is that as we look at this text together, that the Spirit of God would so move in us and that we would have hearts that also burn. The Bible tells us that after Jesus expounded those texts, at the end the disciple says, did not our hearts burn burn as he opened the scriptures? As Jesus opened the scriptures and he says, you see, you see, you see, this is about me. The Bible tells that the spirit of God was working in their hearts. And they saw those texts in ways that they had never seen them before. Their hearts burned within them. It is my prayer that God would use his word and speak to you and speak to me in a way that would cause our hearts to burn. That we would not be indifferent this morning to the things that we see from this text concerning our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The story that we have before us is a story that took place in the, in the wilderness, you know, of the wilderness. If you've read the books of Moses, you know that the children of Israel spent a very long time in Egypt. And they were not having fun there. Sometimes they talk as they were. They were in slavery, they were in bondage. But God, through his servant Moses, freed them from Egyptian bondage by his mighty arm. And God caused them to cross the Red Sea and to embark on their journey to the promised land. And we find them here in the wilderness. And if you're familiar with the book of Numbers, you know the wilderness is is a, is a time, is a period, is a place where they face many, many difficult trials, right? They would find themselves needing basic things like water. Have you ever been thirsty? It's easy. Well, thirsty, we go find water. What if you were thirsty and there was no water in sight? That's where they were. That's the kind of trial they faced. No water, no food, no meat. And then they would find also enemies that are too powerful for them. The wilderness experience was characterized by many, many, many trials. And what we have before us is a big one. It's a great trial. It's a great trial. In verse 4, it says that from Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. See, 
What you may not realize from just reading these verses is that the children of Israel, their plan was to, to go a different route. In the previous chapter, it says that they wanted to go through the land of Edom, which was supposed to be a simpler, shorter journey to the promised land. But the Edomites refused to let them go through their land. So here they find themselves going this difficult route with frustration. If only they had let us go through their land. So now they're going to go through a land to to a turn that is much longer. It's going to take them much longer to get to the promised land. Not just that. This was a very harsh territory. It was a very harsh territory. It's not just, well, not finding plenty of water. But it's a territory that was known for being infested with snakes. Lawrence of Arabia, early in the 20th century, traveled this same territory that the children of Israel took. And here's what it says, what he says of this territory. He says, this is a place of hell, of hopelessness and sadness deeper than all the open desert we had crossed. There was something sinister, something actively evil in this snake-devoted land, proliferant of salt water and barren palms and bushes which neither serve for grazing nor for firewood. No water, no food, snakes all around. That's the kind of territory that they were traveling on. And the Bible says that they became impatient. They became impatient. Another version says that the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. Can you blame them for being discouraged? Have you ever found yourself in the midst of a trial saying, Oh God, this is hard. This is too much. How long will this take? So they were impatient. But the Bible tells us that they were not just impatient, but they were impatient in a way that was absolutely sinful. For their impatience led to rebellion toward God. The God who had guided them up to that point. Now, God, what in the world are you doing? Don't you see? How can we be here? In this place where there is no food, there's no water. The Bible tells us that the people spoke against God and against Moses. Verse 5. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food. So they're facing this great trial and they're not doing too well. Actually, they're responding in a very sinful way. Complaining against God. Now one thing, if you know the scriptures, you'll realize that the complaints were nothing new, right? Have the children of Israel gone through circumstances like this before? Did God ever put them in a position where there was no food, no water before? And what happened? They complained, they cried out to God, and God provided in his mercy. So over and over, 
They've gone through that kind of situation where they would face a need, they would sin against God by murmuring against Him. Often God would judge them, and then in the midst of their suffering, cry out to God God, have mercy. God, have mercy. God, have mercy. But here they are again, doing what? The very same thing. And that's how sin is. Not just their sin, my sin, and yours. Don't we ever find ourselves doing the same thing over and over and over again, even when God chastises us? That's the nature of sin. So their complaints were not new. But we see that their complaints, in their complaints, they were doing something that was really, really, really awful. What they were doing, they were showing the heart of unbelief in the goodness of God. In the goodness of God. God, what are you doing? You're taking us here to do what to us? To bless us? To kill us? Your intent, God, in taking us from bondage, from Egypt, is to bring us to this wilderness to kill us. How about that? How about that? For wicked, sinful men to impute evil to the God who is holy and just and perfect. Do you realize how sinful this is? God, we know you. What you want is not our good, but our harm. You want to kill us. You are getting us to go through this. You're not going to show up. You're going to kill us. You're doubting the goodness of God. You're also showing their unbelief in the power of God. No food, no water in the wilderness means what? We will starve. That's what they were saying. If there's no food, there's no water for us to go get with our own hands, what's going to happen? We will die. Really? Is that what happened before? When there was no food and no water, did they forget about manna? Did they forget about God taking water from the rock for them? Did they forget? But now they're saying, no food, no water means death. God, you have put us in this situation, we're going to die. You can't do anything, can you? God, there's no food. You can do something? We've never seen such a thing. We've never seen miracles. God, you've never done anything big. Aren't we like that sometimes? Where God has shown his power in a big way in our lives and we find ourselves facing a new trial we're like, okay, it's over. No hope for me, right? Anyone? That's where they were. All of a sudden, the arm of the Lord is too short to save. Very serious stuff. The complaints also showed an ungrateful spirit toward God. The Bible says that they loathe this, what? This worthless bread. This worthless food. 
denigrating the very provision of God. There were instructions given that some of the food that God gave them, they were to put it in the ark of the covenant as a testimony to the faithfulness and goodness and kindness of God. Now this food they're saying, ah, awful. What God himself provided. Ah, we despise it. Again, we can point at them and say, awful, I can't believe this, I can't believe that. Are we ever like that? Despising, showing ingratitude for toward God for his provision. Now how would God respond to their rebellion? Would he be indifferent? Oh, of course I understand. It's a tough situation in the wilderness. I can understand. Oh, don't worry about it. Well, the Bible tells us of their predicament. It tells us that the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And it is interesting here to note, the Bible says, and trust me, the words are not placed accidentally in the Bible. When God says, the Lord sent the fiery serpent, there is a point here. Yes, it was an area that was infested with snakes. But what, God, what had God done before? God had protected them from the snakes, right? But this time, the Bible tells us the Lord who had protected them before from the snake is the very God who is now sending the snakes in the midst. Whether it meant that God supernaturally causes more snakes to come about, perhaps. But what was clear was that God was active through the snakes. God used the snakes as instruments of wrath, as instruments of judgment. It was of God. I don't know if you've ever noticed that God does not hide when he's judging. God doesn't hide when he's judging sinners. It is his right to judge. And his judgment is always righteous. God doesn't throw a rock and say, oh, let me hide, lest they see me. God says very clearly, I am judging them. The Lord sent fiery serpents. And the serpents killed them. The Bible says that those who received the serpent bite died. And the impression is that it did not take long. So imagine the scene, lots of people in the wilderness, and you there, and the snake comes, and you're watching it, bang, it by someone, right next to you, bang, the person dies. You look behind you, people screaming, running, but no way of escaping the serpent bite. Can you imagine such a scene? All around you, people dying. What are you thinking? I am next. Or maybe you look behind, all the way there you saw people that you don't really know too well. They're dying. But then the serpent comes and he bites your son. And you watch him die. Your husband, you watch him die. That's what we had here. 
They had sinned, and now they were under the judgment of God. It is indeed a dreadful predicament. For sinners to fall under the judgment of God, it is a dreadful thing. Nothing can be worse than that. If you think your life is hard, but you don't have peace with God, well, let me tell you, whatever difficulty you're experiencing is nothing compared to being a sinner under God's wrath. So the people were dying. And what did they do? Well, the only thing they could do Pled for mercy. So we see their desperate plea. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord. I take away the serpents from us. They went to Moses. Why Moses? Well, Moses was the mediator. Moses was the one who acted as priest, going before God, interceding for them. So they went to Moses. Yeah, the very Moses they were speaking against, but no other hope. So they went to Moses. They acknowledged their sin. We have sinned, verse 7. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Then they pled for the mercy of God through Moses. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. They know it was no accident that the serpents were in their midst. That's why they prayed for God to take them away. Now, we ask the question, how did God respond? How did God respond to this rebellious people who were blaspheming his very character? Did God say, enough? After all, it has happened before, many times. God would be right in withholding mercy. He would be right in saying, enough. God would be just in allowing his wrath to destroy them. But the Bible tells us that God is not just a God of justice, but is a God filled of compassion and mercy. So we see his provision for them. He gave Moses a plan. Set a serpent on a pole. Set a serpent on a pole. We won't have time this morning to look why a serpent. We won't have time for that this morning, but for us, the main thing is here to listen, God's plan. Moses set a serpent on a pole. Look at the serpent and live. That's what God's plan was. And Moses, as a faithful priest, obeyed God and made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And then the people experienced God's mercy, verse 9. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Five things I want to say quickly about God's provision here. One, yeah, it came from God. It came from God. Salvation is of God. The people could not save themselves, just like we cannot save ourselves. Salvation is of the Lord. So the plan came from God. It was specific. God did not say, well, Moses, take whatever you feel like, put it there. Come up with something, Moses. I know you. You have a lot of experience in ministry. Hey, let's see. Oh, 
I'll leave that up to you. Moses, take a serpent, put it on a pole. And that's what Moses did. It was a very specific plan. But it also was a very sufficient plan. What happens when you set it on a pole and people look at it? What happened? They were healed. That was God's plan. And when God's plan is sufficient, God says, set a pole, look at it in faith, and you'll be healed. God said it, they did it, and they were healed. It was a sufficient plan. It was out of mercy. Again, I've said that before. God was not obligated to do it. Lastly, it was to be received by faith. The Bible doesn't tell us how many people looked at the serpent. I don't know. But I'd like to guess that there were some. Are you kidding me? What does a serpent on a pole have to do with this bite? Perhaps some people were like that. Hey, man, just look. Maybe, I don't know, maybe some people refused to look and died. The Bible doesn't tell us how many did. They had to trust God. Did they understand why they would find life by looking at the serpent? Do you think they did? Anyone? What was demanded of them is simple faith in Yahweh. Simple faith in Yahweh. The God who's made heaven and earth, the God of the covenant, the God who freed them from Egypt. Did they understand how they were going to cross the Red Sea? No. So God says, look, you look. It's his plan. Now the question is, as we try to wrap up, what in the world does this story have to do with us? I believe we've learned a few good things, wonderful things already here. But I believe this story, the beauty of this story, is particularly seen as we see it as a glorious picture of what God did for us in Christ. So you can read this story and say, oh, wasn't that good? Let me see what lessons I can learn from the children of Israel. Oh, God was good. God was merciful to them. Oh, isn't that nice? The Bible doesn't want us to stay there. Well, Jesus does not want us to Stay there. Do you remember Jesus and his conversation with a man in the New Testament named Nicodemus? And when Jesus spoke with them, as he spoke of the new birth, what did Jesus do? He made reference to what? This story. This is not me being creative, brothers and sisters here. Jesus himself is telling us that there is something for us to see, hear about him and his saving work in our lives. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Two big points here I want us to see. Listen. 
As Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness many years before, God the Father lifted up his son and only son Jesus Christ on the cross as his provision of mercy towards undeserving and rebellious sinners like you and me. That is That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Jesus is saying. This is about me. This is about me. Note that the offering, the lifting up was done by the Father. It says in the passive way, the Son of Man must be lifted up, which begs the question, who is doing the lifting? The Son of Man must be lifted up. Possible answers. The Jews, the religious Jews, the Romans, right? They put Jesus there. Book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 27 and 28, it says this. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. For what purpose? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Yes, we can look at the human cause here, the Jews, the religious leaders, the political leaders, but the ultimate cause for Jesus on the cross is God the Father. God the Father is the one using human instrumentation to put Jesus on the cross. The Bible tells that Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The cross is no accident. The Father did the lifting and it also says that the lifting was necessary. The death of Jesus on that cross was necessary. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. He must be lifted up. He had to be lifted up. Why was it necessary? In what way was it necessary? Was it necessary because somehow God was morally obligated to save us? Hmm? Was God morally obligated to save sinners? Did God... Suffer some kind of lack. He was lonely. Oh, I can't do it without sinful sinners, sinful people. Let me make a way. Was God under some kind of law? Was there a legal obligation for God to save sinners? Certainly not. In what way was it necessary? Scholars use the term absolute consequent necessity which means this God was obligated to offer Jesus because of his choice to save sinners do you understand in other words since God has decided that he would save rebellious sinners there was no other way it was necessary the choice of God to save you and save me made the death of Christ Necessary. 
There had to be payment for your sin and my sin. Jesus had to die. That's why we found him in the garden, trembling, knowing what awaited him. Father, if it's possible, take away this cup. Take this cup away from me, if it is possible. You know the answer that he received from heaven. The answer that that he received from heaven caused him to say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Death of Christ was necessary because of God's sovereign and gracious choice to save sinners. How are we to respond to this? See, all of us have been stung by sin's poison and desperately need a Savior. The glorious news of the gospel is that God has made a way of salvation for us by lifting up his son on the cross and have him die in our place. So what is it that we ought to do? We ought to look to Jesus simply. And when we do, we find God's promises, promise to be true. That's what Charles Haddon Spurgeon experienced. A British preacher who lived in the 19th century spent many years trying to find rest for his soul. Hard to be at peace with God. He was aware of his sin. Very troubled. Knew that he was under the wrath of God. And the Bible tells, well, not the Bible, history records that. On a stormy winter night, he stumbled in a little Methodist church. The pastor was away. Snowstorm. Hey, let me just go there. And he sits in the pew. And this layman preaching, stuttering. Not very gifted, if you read Spurgeon's account of this. And the man kept pounding and pounding, and pounding from a text in Isaiah where it says, where God says, look to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. Look to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. And at one point, he looked at Spurgeon. And he says, son, young man, You look so miserable. Look to Jesus. Long man, look to Jesus. Can you imagine that? Little Spurgeon sitting there, and this layman looking at him. Young man, look at you. You look miserable. Look to Jesus, pointing at him. Look to Jesus. And be saved. Spurgeon says that he looked to Jesus, and he found life. He looked to Jesus and he found life. Sometimes I wish, I say, Lord, that'd be great. If I could stand here and look in the balcony and see perhaps people who are lost without Christ and call you or point to you and look here and look here and say, you, you are miserable. You are dying in your sins. Look to Jesus today, not tomorrow. Come to him now. I wish I could do that. I don't want anyone to die without Christ. 
But you see, there is someone much greater than that layman here today. There is someone who does have the power to look at you and to come to Jesus today. And maybe he is this morning. Maybe the spirit of God is speaking to you and said, don't you see? Don't you see the bite? Don't you see you dying? Don't you see your friends dying? Stop looking at yourself for salvation. It will be pointless. You're going to die. Don't you see? Your friend's dying. There is no other way. Oh, no, 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 God, don't worry. I can take care of it. I can put bandit on it. And you die. I can, God, no, 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 no. I can do it. I'm proud. I have to help myself. You mean, look to Jesus? Don't you understand the bondage that I've been in for 20 and 30 years? How I can't but sin. I love my drugs. I love those. I love sin. Sin is fun. I can do without it. Are you saying that looking to Jesus will free me? Yes. Nothing else actually will free you. Look to Jesus and be saved. Come to him today, not tomorrow. Tomorrow is not guaranteed as we all of us know. Come to Jesus today. But you see the message is not just for those who are lost, who desperately need Christ. It's for all of us, believers as well. Let us look to Jesus and find comfort in our trials. For he's not just the author of our salvation, he's also its perfecter. He's also its perfecter. Are you discouraged right now? Look to Jesus in faith. Also, let us look to Jesus in adoration for rescuing us from hell. Let us look to Jesus with an attitude of submission that would say, Jesus, let your will be done. Let us look to Jesus as a church. Oh, how I pray that this church would be known as a church where people love Jesus. Where lives are consecrated to Jesus. Where lives are lived for the pleasure of Jesus. The one who died for us. The sinless one for the rebellious ones. May God bless you. May God encourage your, your heart today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word is clear. Thank you so much for your love and mercy toward us. Yes, Jesus died for the ungodly. He died for us while we were yet sinners. Thank you. How I pray that you would move within our hearts I would indeed love you more. And I pray for those who may be here today who don't know Jesus. Give them restlessness until they come to Christ and find their rest in him. We trust you, Father, that your word would prevail and bear much fruit for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.